We've been in the book of James for a while now, and we're in the uh, <clears throat> closing few weeks of this series called Faith in the Fire, God's Plan for My Pain. But the way we're closing it out is by looking at a character profile of the man Job. You see, James mentions Job in chapter 5 as an example for us on how we can uh, suffer, uh, how we can go through the, through the fire by faith. So we started that last week talking at Job, and then today Job's going to help us again um, get ready to walk by faith through our, through our trials. I think too often people come to church pretending that, that we don't have problems, all right? Too often people come to church and they think this is the place where you have to pretend that everything's perfect, your kids are all fine, your finances are great, your marriage is better than ever, and you're, you're almost not allowed to like bring your problems to church, all right? Um, that's surprising if you ask me, because where else would your problems better belong than here uh, for God to help you and for the church to help you? I heard last week that the White Sox had bring your dog night to the, to the baseball Park, right? Bring, so bring your pet to the game. And then every year they have bring your child to work, right? I'm starting a new thing this morning. It's called bring your problem to church day. All right? So starting today, it's bring your problem to church day. If you forgot your problem at home, you can get in the car and go grab it and then bring it back because your problems are all welcome in this room today. This is the place where you learn how to deal with your pain. And today is the place, uh, today is the day for you to learn what God's plan is for your pain. The question we are going to answer this morning is, how should I respond when God sends suffering into my life? I love what Chuck Swindoll says about Job. He says this, Job shows us how to suffer with heroic endurance. I like that phrase. Job shows us how to suffer with heroic endurance. We need that. We need to know how to suffer. You will suffer. It will happen to you. And God himself will allow it. Are you ready? Maybe you need this sermon today and you already have the pain and the problem and you're going through it. Maybe you need it tomorrow and you don't even know it yet. Maybe you need it to look back and process things that have happened in your past. But the bottom line is, we need to learn how to deal with life-altering pain. I guarantee you that this message, this passage that we look at today, will bother you. I guarantee you that this story that you hear today will haunt you and shake you up. It will cause you to rethink your faith in God and your confidence in His goodness. Uh, This story will redefine for you what you can hope to expect from God in this life. But I guarantee if you don't look away, if you follow with me, if you follow this story all the way through, to the end, your confidence in God and your understanding of his nature will be greater than you could possibly imagine. You will find in this story peace with the pain of your past. You will find confidence for your current suffering. And you will be ready to endure anything horrible and excruciating and agonizing and terrible that comes at you in this world. Those are big promises. Let's pray. Father, we do ask you that you would, in your word, help us to see why you allow certain things 
to come our way. But today, when we look into Job's life at the beginning of this great trial, before he even finds out why, show us in his life how we should suffer, how we should respond when you allow pain into our world. We pray this because we need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open up in your Bibles to the book of Job, chapter 1. If you missed last week, let me give you a quick rundown of what's happened. Uh, God had angels come to him in heaven, including an evil angel named Satan, and they had a conversation. Job, uh, God commended a guy named Job. Say, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's the most righteous man alive, fears God, shuns evil. Satan wasn't too happy about that, and so what Satan did was he questioned God's truth, and he slandered God and Job in heaven. He said, Job doesn't love you. He serves you because you've given him great riches. Job was the richest man in the East, whatever that means. He was loaded. He was wealthy. So Satan challenged God's truth in heaven and slandered him and said, Job doesn't love you. He loves the goodies that you've given him. Uh, Satan also pretty much slandered God, saying, you're pampering him. You're going easy. You're bribing him to follow you. So God had a choice to make, and he decided to, uh, he decided to challenge Satan on what he just said. He said, fine, everything that he has is in your hands. You cannot touch him, but you're allowed to touch everything in his life. We left last week with the haunting realization that an evil being who's cloaked, who you cannot detect, can be given permission to touch anything in your life, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. Even if you have had the most righteous and godly and faithful year of your life, God can give permission for anything in your life to be touched, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. That's how it ended last week. Let's figure out what Satan decided to do, picking it up in chapter 1, verse 13. Now, there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. There came a messenger to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and donkeys feeding beside him, and Uh, The Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Okay, pause right there. Uh, Job lived probably back in the days of Abraham. So you're looking at 2000 BC. And so, you know, it's not like they all necessarily had paper money and coins. Job was wealthy in livestock. He had camels for transportation, oxen to work the fields, donkeys, female donkeys, which would produce the milk. And they would also have, uh, he had land, he had great riches. He also had a a big family, 10 kids, seven boys, three girls. And Job was well known. He had influence in the community. He had wealth. He had power. People respected him. He was somehow involved in local government. He was living the dream. And, And then he gets this servant who shows up, barges in, and says, the, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding. And this, this roving tribe, this group called the Sabaeans, fell upon them, stole them, and killed all the servants. This servant said, I'm the only one alive who came to tell you. Job had 500 yoke of oxen, so imagine the fields that he was in charge of, the crops, and 500 female donkeys. They were plowing, they were feeding, and all the servants that would go along with that operation. The Sabaeans probably came from the Arabian Peninsula, uh, further south. Job lived east of what is now Israel. They killed all the servants. They stole all the animals. Job is now a victim of theft. And he's lost a fortune in crops. And God has let the wicked men steal all of these animals, the oxen and the donkeys, and kill all the servants. There are, there are 
men and women dead now, and they have no idea that they're just, they're just casualties of this, of this cosmic disagreement going on between God and Satan. But they're dead. Job gets that news. This is like a heart attack. This is a good portion of where his wealth is coming from, and it's gone in a moment. But before that servant stopped talking, it says in verse 16, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, the fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So now he had 7,000 sheep, and the first uh, tragedy came from man. The second one came from nature. 7,000 sheep killed in, in this horrible lightning storm mixed with perhaps a fire. All these servants were there. Now we realize that this is more than a freak accident, more than a coincidence. These servants arrive, bam, bam, heart attack, heart attack. Two-thirds of his industry is gone, and it was an act of God. God gave divine permission to a mighty spirit to aim the weather and kill thousands of animals, perhaps hundreds of men. There was nothing Job could do to stop it. These two servants both were the only ones to survive. Two servants alive. Then that same instance, a third servant came in. It says in verse 17. And it says, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said the Chaldeans. So now there's another roaming tribe, all coordinated. The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels. So the camels would be transportation, moving people and goods and trading uh, all around the region. So it would have been like a transportation business today. And raided the camels and took them, more theft, and struck down the servants, more death, with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Job has officially lost everything. His entire business, gone. All of his money, gone. All of his servants, but three, dead. Bam, bam, bam. It took 15 seconds, and it was all gone. And God let it happen. And there was nothing Job could do to stop it. How shocking. I can't imagine the fear. I can't imagine the confusion. And then, on cue, the fourth servant ran in while the third servant was still talking. And he says in verse 18, while he was yet speaking, there came another. And said, your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a a great wind came across the wilderness out of nowhere. Struck the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young people. And they're dead. All ten of them dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. This happened in a minute. Everything gone. Everything. So I was trying to imagine Job's pain. Recently I came upon a story that helped me to somehow understand what it must feel like There's a story out of rural Pennsylvania of a family that went through quite a tragedy. The Klaus family, they had quite a house full of children, eight children in all, ages from nine months up, uh, all the way up to Christina, who was 11. And on a March night, which at the time seemed plain and ordinary as any other, the kids were all packed into the farmhouse. Some were doing homework, some were playing. Uh, Samantha was down in her crib, 
The mom, Janelle, was out in the barn doing some work. Her husband, Ted, was on a nightly milk truck run making collections. And then Leah, the three-year-old, entered the barn to find her mom, and the little girl's eyes were open wide. And Janelle knew something was wrong even before Leah spoke. But then Leah said, Miranda is playing with smoke. Mom, Miranda is playing with smoke. Miranda was the 18-month-old sister. Janelle ran out, dashed outside, only to see the whole house on fire. The farmhouse was on fire and all the kids were inside. Here's a picture of the house. She ran to the house, opened the front door, and a blast of superheated air blew right into her face. She could not go in. Thick smoke was pouring out. She could see her baby's crib. She couldn't touch it. She called 911. The firefighters came out. There was nothing they could do. They put the fire out. By the end of the night, as, as the sun was coming up, they carried out seven body bags. The baby was still in her crib. The other children were upstairs in two bedrooms. They couldn't get out. I saw pictures of the children. Here's pictures of the children that couldn't make it out with some of their cousins. These are real people. This really happened. And then I saw a picture from the funeral, and it just stopped me as a parent. What? What is it like to say goodbye to one or two, three, four, five, six, seven? And Job knows ten. He knows ten all at once, and God let it happen. You can write this down. We have to prepare to experience unimaginable suffering. Unimaginable suffering. Job lost everything in an instant, and God let it happen. We learn from this that pain is part of God's plan for your life. You can be doing your very best You can have done nothing wrong. Pain is part of God's plan for your life. There is nothing you can do to convince God that you've reached a a part of your life that no longer requires hardship for you to move forward. He will never make the deal with you that given everything you've done for him, no more pain for you. You have to, I have to settle it in our hearts right now. Pain is an ongoing part of God's plan for your life. And there's nothing you can do to stop it. So we can prepare to experience unimaginable suffering. But we cannot control, bribe, barter. We cannot plead with God. It will not work. We know it's part of his plan. He will allow unimaginable suffering into your life. And when pain comes, perhaps in this form, as a severe, sudden, traumatic crisis, how will you respond? Are you prepared to suffer by faith? How will you react? I have the joy of pastoring so many people who go through so many valleys and it's always so encouraging when I show up and and meet with people who are in the hospital who woke up that morning not thinking this is where they would be and hearing I'm so proud when I hear their confidence and their and their humility and their trust in the Lord and that just makes me so happy and I've met with people on the other hand who are so unprepared and caught off guard and, and their hearts have been almost preloaded to fire doubts and accusations at God if a time like this were to happen. Whatever they were doing in their mind, God had broken their agreement to keep suffering and pain out of their hearts. And now they're, 
They're crumpled. They're losing their faith. They're filled with fear and doubt. Are you ready? Are you ready to experience suffering? Job is going to help us get ready as we see his response. Number two, you can write this down. How do I bring my pain to God? How do I do it? How do I get ready and how do I respond? Job's going to show us. We read his response in chapter 1, verse 20. It says, Then Job arose, tore his robe. So that was the, the rich had a robe on over their uh, undergarments, and he, he tore his robe, and that's a sign of tremendous grief and shock and outrage. Tore his robe. Then he shaved his head. That's also a sign of sadness. It could also in the Bible be a, a way that you're consecrating yourself to the Lord and setting yourself apart to him. Then it says, he fell on the ground and he worshiped. And he said something. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. We have to see his example. When, when you get the news that brings you to your knees, when you have five seconds to figure out how this is going to go for you, We have to remember what Job did. How would you respond? Don't say to yourself, boy, I hope God never allows that to happen to me. What world do you live in? You will soon let go of everything you have in this life. You will soon bid goodbye to everyone you know in this life. The only thing that changed for Job is the calendar early delivery. You will experience exactly what he did. You will have to painfully let go of everything and everyone that you now have in this life. Are you ready for that? Well, how do I bring my pain to God? Let's look at what he did. First, it says he arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, and then fell on the ground and worshiped. Jot this down. Humble yourself in God's presence. I mean, when, when something happens that rocks you, Humble yourself. Physically get flat on your face and talk to God. Wherever you are, get low, very low, which is a symbol of you humbling yourself before a holy God. <coughs> That's you worshiping in prayer. It's Job saying, I'm not sinning in pride. I'm not, I'm not fuming in anger. I'm not sinking in doubt humbling myself. This is why James picked Job, to show us what it looks like when we go through the fire. Here's some verses from James chapter 4, verse 7, that tells us what we're supposed to do um, when it comes to temptation and trials. <coughs> he says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's what Job just did. He humbled himself. Second thing we see here is this. Express your grief, your weakness, and your humiliation to God. You can write that down. How do I bring my pain to God? Express your grief, your weakness, and your humiliation to him. Job said, the Lord has taken. <clears throat> he didn't resort to this, to this like superstitious, like, well, everything happens for a reason. 
some, some force out there, way that I could never, I'm just the victim of something. He said, the Lord has taken. He didn't try and spare God from this agony. The Lord has taken. He brought his pain into the presence of God, his weakness. And that's what we are called to do also. Talk to God about how you're feeling. Talk to God about what you're thinking. You know, the Bible tells us that this is a valid form of prayer. It's very helpful. It's called lament. There's a whole book called Lamentations. And you go into the presence of the Lord and you process your pain with him. Be careful. You're not sitting in the presence of the Lord with a clenched fist telling him how things shouldn't have happened. That's not lament. That's sin. You're sitting in the presence of the Lord with your pain, with your tears, and you are processing your pain together with God. That's called lamenting. That's a biblical way to manage your problems. And Job was doing that. You can write this down next. How do I bring my pain to God? Humble yourself. Express it to God. Next, credit God with every blessing in your life. Job said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I shall return. The Lord has given. You have to be able to say the Lord has given in times of great grief. What you're doing is you're admitting the truth to yourself that you brought nothing to this party. You showed up empty-handed. You didn't even bring your own first outfit to this world. Everything you have, somebody had to hand to you. That means none of it's yours, and that also means God is the one who's credited with giving you all the comfort that you enjoy in this life. God gave it to you. And reminding yourself of something that's already true uh, lets the fresh air of truth in when your mind is all clouded up with suffering. You might be saying, well, why on earth would I be doing that? If If I, heaven forbid, you know, lost a loved one, What good is it to say thank you that the sun came up again? You know, like, that doesn't make my pain go away. Right, that's not the point. The point is not to decrease your sorrow. The point is to increase your faith. How do you increase your faith? By remembering every good thing God is still currently putting into your life. He is good. He is taking care of you. And if you turn off all of the blessings and and fixate on all of the hardship, you're not being fair to God. You're not being truthful with yourself. This is where the atheists and the agnostics go wrong. Well, why would I follow a God who has allowed so much pain and suffering into the world? And they close their eyes to every good thing they enjoy. It's unfair to God, and it's untruthful to yourself. You have to continue to be grateful for everything God has given you. Gratitude should permeate your hearts on the bad days and the good days as you're thankful for everything. Then your faith will stay strong. Humble yourself in His presence. Express your grief the Lord has taken. Credit God with the blessings. Remind yourself that the Lord has given. And then this is the hardest one. Write this down. Surrender as God sovereignly removes things from your life. Listen carefully to what Job said. He didn't just say the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Oh, well. He didn't just say the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. He said... Blessed be the name of the Lord. He praised God. He was joyful in his trial. 
that shows that he was a man who had surrendered to God's sovereign oversight and care. And here's the thing. The time for you to decide what God can and can't do with your life is right now. If you wait too long, you won't be prepared for the suffering. But the truth is this. God can put anything into your life and take anyone out of your life that he wants. He can and he will. You have no legal claim to anything in your world. He can reach in and take anything out and he has done nothing wrong because it's all his property. They're all his people. You can't accuse him of wrongdoing because it all belongs to him. Your life is not your own. He breathed it into you and he holds it in his hand. And when he wants to take it back, he can do that because it's not yours. The illusion of ownership and the feeling that you have some entitlement, some control to be able to decide what stays and what goes in your life, it's not, it's not biblical. It's not godly. We have to maintain this posture of ongoing surrender where we understand that we live with open hands. God can put anything into our life he wants. He can take anything out he wants. He is God. I am not. It's not my money. It's not my house. It's not my car. All of that will be in the hands of someone else very soon. They're not my kids. He gave them to me for a time. But he can take back what he has given at any point because they're rightfully his. Understanding that we're supposed to live with a posture of surrender will help you to have a surrendered heart. Whatever math you're doing in your mind, if I do this and this for God, then surely he wouldn't do this and this to me. You just need to tear up that sheet because God's not going to look at it when it's time for the pain to grow your faith. Whatever manipulation you've been doing in your heart, whatever list you've made of the things that God can never allow into your life, because otherwise he's going to hear from you. Just throw that in the fire. Because God won't respect that. He wants you. The point of everything in your life is for you to enjoy a relationship with your God. And so, what is God doing when I suffer? Well, at the top of his list is he wants to strengthen and enhance your relationship to him. Number one. Number one answer on the board of why God has allowed you to get anything or lose anything. Number one answer. He wants to strengthen and enhance your relationship with him. He can do that by giving and he can do that by taking. Either way, it's accomplishing his number one agenda in your life. He wants to strengthen and enhance your relationship to him. If if having too much is jeopardizing your relationship with him, he may take it to accomplish the number one, which is strengthening your relationship to him. If not having is something that he sees as not beneficial, then he'll give to show you how much he cares for you. Either way, you need to know what he's trying to do. He's strengthening and he's enhancing your relationship to him. The point is, if you want to bring your pain to God, you have to do this before you know why. You have to do this before you know how long the pain will last. You have to do it before you know how it will end. You have to know that it's important to bring your pain to God. That's what Job shows us. So number one, prepare to experience unimaginable suffering. Number two, bring that pain to God. Number three, notice how you're going to suffer. You can write this down. How will I suffer? Reading on in chapter 2, verse 1, it gets worse. It gets worse. It says, again, there was a day when the sons of God, those are angels, came to present themselves before the Lord. 
Satan came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. You ever have like an uncomfortable silence with someone where like, you know, they're thinking something, but they're not saying it. And you're kind of thinking something, but you're not saying it. Like everybody kind of knows that you're both thinking it, but nobody's saying it. You ever have that? Because that's what's going on right now in heaven. God's like, where have you been? See anything good down there? Satan's like, just been walking around. Just, just walking around. And God's kind of like, are you going to say it? Or am I going to say it? And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Is there someone in your life, they just get on your nerves. Christians, we could admit this. Okay, but is there someone in your life where like when their name comes up, it's, or like they get likes on Facebook and there's just something about it, you're just kind of like, eh. confess that. I mean, deal with that. But let's just be honest. Sometimes that happens. Am I right? You're just like, eh. I think when God says Job, Satan is like, eh. Bring him up again. And God's raising the stakes because round one went to God. There never even should have been a round one. Satan should have just been like, yeah, Job's fantastic. I've got another list. Let's start working on those people. No. He issued this heavenly challenge and Job won. Satan lost. Humiliated in the heavenly realms. You think God, Satan's going to give it up? Nope. Verse 3. Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God's pointing out this is an unfair thing that's happening. Okay, so notice the different moral perspective and motive of God and Satan. All right, they're not both like, let's get him. Two very different agendas happening at the same time. Verse 4, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and flesh, and he will curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, No, he's already had enough. You had your shot. No. The Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand. Only spare his life. When it's gone further than you thought it would ever go, it might not be over. It might not be over. God agreed to not only let this man bury his ten kids to achieve a tremendous victory of faith in the heavens, but when Satan came back for round two, said he needs to suffer. His flesh, God said, go for it. He's in your hands. Again, there was a boundary. Restriction in the first trial, you can't touch him. Restriction in the second trial, you can't take his life. Part of me wonders if Satan just wanted to go off and just end him, just like, I need this to be over. And so then God was like, but you can't kill him, like as Satan's on his way out. You can't kill him. We're all going to watch this. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. He took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself. And while he sat in the ashes, so now he's outside the city, 
no more fortune, no more family, only his wife is there. He's not even in his house anymore. He's sitting outside the city in a trash heap. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. I heard a pastor once say, now you know why Satan left his wife. She is not helping. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Who knows what her heart is? Is she so broken by grief? Is she so compassionate for him? Just ended already? We don't know. What she was saying was foolish. Shall we receive, listen, shall we receive from God? Let me read that again. Shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Let's talk first about how we suffer. Jot this down. People will do wicked things that will hurt you and others. People will do wicked things. Um, Christians will get robbed. God does not prevent people from doing wicked things to Christians. Governments will oppress, starve, and kill and manipulate their citizens, and God's people will suffer. Spouses will cheat and leave the family. Bosses will intimidate and harass and steal and bully. Nations will go to war. You will suffer because of the wicked choices of other people. It will happen. In your home, in your church, and in your world, the wicked choices of other people will cause you to suffer. Get ready for it, and don't be surprised when it happens. Next, natural disasters will cause great loss and destruction. Write that down. Seemingly random natural events will cause great pain and loss. Tornadoes hit houses. Tsunamis swallow beaches. Hurricanes flood counties. Volcanoes erupt. Roads get wet and icy. Lakes have riptides. Gravity never shuts off. Earthquakes collapse entire cities. There will be natural disasters that will cause tremendous pain. Job's trials came in an alternating sequence. Uh, Wicked people stole from him. Then, Then a freak storm killed animals and his servants. Then wicked people stole from him. Then then a freak storm, a wind, a tornado possibly killed all of his children. And he had to he had to dig them out of the rubble. These are the sources that your suffering will come from. But there's more. Now we see that he's sick. So write this down. You will get sick and you'll soon die. This is now more of an extended release trial. This is more of a chronic, ongoing pain with the body. Some of you are saying, that's me. That's what I've got. Ongoing sickness. Just keep in mind that that Job, he didn't have an immediate care center. Okay? There's no Walgreens. There's no health care. There's no hospital. There's no Advil. There's no anything. He's on his own. If you read through the uh, chapters that follow... His sickness is described as involving inflamed, ulcerous sores, persistent itching, a skin disease head to toe that results in his skin turning black and large chunks of it falling off, degenerative changes in his face, disfiguration, his friends didn't even recognize him, swelling, fever, loss of appetite, nausea, indigestion, fears, depression. These sores burst open, scabbed over, oozed. Worms were found in the sores themselves. He couldn't breathe right. His eyelids were dark and swollen. His breath was awful. He lost weight. This was excruciating, ongoing, moment by moment with pain. And he had nothing to take for it and no one to see for it. He had a fever. His body was swollen. He had, he had uh, delirium. He could not sleep. Um, and many of, his, 
Many of his friends and his family would not go near him. Would you go near him? Would you go near him? Everybody in his life is going down. What terrible suffering. You'll get sick. Eventually, you know, like when you go to the doctor, you get that check-in sheet where it's like check all the things that you've had. I feel blessed on those days because I don't have to check everything. You know, but you live long enough. You live long enough. It's only a matter of time. Your health will fail. Your body will die. It's going to happen. You'll get sick and you'll soon die, just like Job. Write this down. And people will pressure you to turn from God. His wife says, curse your God and die, which is just what Satan wants to happen. You will face the trial of relational pressure over time. Kids or your spouse or friends or whoever who don't share your faith. And when life gets hard, some voices will not help. You need to be ready for this. When your marriage gets hard, there will be people who tell you it's okay to leave. Listen, listen. God is not talking to you through them. God is not talking to you through, well, I have some friends. It's happened so often. Marriage is falling apart. Some of my friends think it's time for me to move on. Christian friends, stop listening to them. They're not telling you what is right. Yeah, but they prayed about it. Don't listen to foolish, godless advice. When your money gets tight, some people will tell you it's okay to be irresponsible or quit or godless. Hey, don't listen to them. Don't listen to godless, foolish advice. When someone hurts you, others will say, well, based on what they did, hurt them back. Do that back. You don't need to be nice to them. Take them to court. Don't listen to foolish, godless advice. If you don't understand that the number one time you're going to be tempted to sin is when you're hurt, you're going to sin your way. Uh, you're going to sin a lot because of your sadness and grief. All right? What we do is we've been so good for so long, and then when life gets hard, we almost give ourselves permission as if we've stored up these sin-free cards that we can unleash it. That is when Satan tries to take you down and God won't understand when you veer from his word. You must stay the course when you're in pain. How will I suffer? Wicked people, natural disasters, sickness. Others will pressure you. Get ready. Get ready. Prepare to experience unimaginable suffering. Bring that pain to God. Know how you will suffer and don't be surprised when it happens. Number four, write this down, what Job shows us. Don't blame God or reject the faith. Don't blame him and don't reject the faith. It says in chapter 2, verse 3, he still holds fast his integrity. He still turns away from evil. His faith passed through the fire. It says in verse 10, he said, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Listen, should we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? See, Job understood he's not going to make this deal where he takes all the good, gets angry for all the bad. This deal of like, I'll worship and follow and serve the Lord as long as I'm just getting good. Once I get bad, once I get suffering, God's going to hear about it. That bargain in your mind needs to be thrown out of your heart. God doesn't make that bargain. It would be something if God did make that bargain. All right, deal. I'll only give you good, and you only give me good. You give me nothing bad, I give you nothing bad. Guess who's going to fail to live up to that deal? You. And so how unfair is it for us to expect that God will only give us good and never give us bad? That's so unfair and selfish. On what basis do we deserve that? 
So we can't have this, I'm going to blame God for bad and only accept the good. Understand that God is in total control of everything in your life, but he is never the blameworthy cause of evil. God and Satan have two different agendas for this trial. They're not teaming up to take Job out. So wicked people can have a plan that hurts you. You know, nature can do something that, that costs you a lot. But God can still have another greater plan that he's going to bring to fulfillment in time. You have to understand that there could be multiple different things happening at once. God is never the blameworthy cause of evil. You also have to know that God tells Satan this is unfair. So there are evil beings who are tempting you and testing you, and you need to know that that's not God's fault. You will see the fullness of God's plan, but you have to wait. The bottom line is don't Blame God, don't reject the faith. Write this down. We observe that God limits the duration and the intensity of our suffering. God is editing this story. In the first trial, he told Satan, this far, no farther, you can't touch him. In the second trial, he said, this far, no farther, you cannot kill him. God sets up boundaries for how bad it gets, how long it lasts. We know that. Because uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is talking to a church and he says, Satan is going to come after you, throw some of you in prison, some of you are going to die. But it's going to last like this many days. All right, now you and I don't have that benefit of getting the actual number of days this trial is going to last. They did. Stand firm for this many days and then it'll be over. God is that involved in the duration and the intensity of your suffering. You live in an edited world where God protects you and he provides for you every moment. I love a quote by F.W. Borum. He asks himself, you know, he's thinking how he would have created a different world. And then he starts, you know, rethinking that. He says this, We are clearly living in an edited world. We may see lots of things admitted that we, had we been editor, would have vigorously excluded. The venom of the cobra, the cruelty of the wolf, the anguish anguish of a sickly babe, and the flaunting shame of the street corner. Had I been editor, I should have ruthlessly suppressed all these contributions. And perhaps when I have lived a few eons longer and have had experience of more worlds than one, I shall feel ashamed of my present inclination to doubt the editor's wisdom. And we shall recognize with profound admiration that we have been living in a most skillfully edited world. That's beautiful. God will show you the list in heaven of the things that he didn't allow in your life. Your eyebrows will go up. You will be shocked at what he didn't allow in your life. You will be thankful. He has edited your world. His limits are loving. He's involved in the pain. Don't blame him. Don't reject the faith. Write this down. God commends your faithfulness in heaven. We see that twice. He's talking about Job to the angels. You heard about my servant Job? He's still serving me, even though Satan took everything from him. Still serving me. He commends you. The day will come when you stand in his presence and he will give you a report card. You want to hear those words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Respond to your pain appropriately. Satan is filling heaven with lies about God right now. He's filling earth with lies about God. He's trying to fill your heart with lies about God. Your pain will lie to you about your God. Be faithful unto death, and he will give you the crown of life. 
Serve him, though he slay you. In the end, he will commend you. Write this down. Know that there's a divine plan for everything good and bad in your life. The Lord gives, the Lord takes. Find rest in God's sovereign management and oversight of your world. I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He said this, I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Wow. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. At this point, Job doesn't know why. He doesn't know how long. He doesn't know how hard it's going to be. He doesn't know, but he still brings his pain to God. He still suffers and doesn't blame God and doesn't reject the faith. Listen, let me talk to those of you who are here today, and maybe you would not consider yourself a Christian. Or maybe even though you would, your life has just never been about following the Lord Jesus Christ. You might be here wondering, why has God allowed these things into my past? Why am I facing these great trials in my present? I want to clear that up, make that crystal clear for you right now. There is a divine plan for your pain. God let that into your life for a reason. Even though other people meant it for bad, his purpose for you was this. He wants you, he needs you to know just how much you need his son. The pain in your life has been God's way of saying the same thing over and over again. You need my son, you need my son. You can't do it alone. Your body will break down. Your, your friendships will cause pain. Your family will not end up the way you thought. Your marriage will not be what you imagine. Your finances will betray you. All of the pain is meant to show you something that's already true. You need God's Son to get through this life and to get into the next life. The pain in your world is showing you that you were not meant to do it alone. But I've got great news for you. Don't think to yourself, God is, where has God been? I've been suffering so much. God has never been there. So far from the truth. Understand that God stepped down into the suffering of this life. God suffers because of you. Your choices pain him deeply. God suffers and he suffers because of you. Listen, God suffers for you. He sent his son down into the world... Jesus lived the perfect life, and then what did he get? In the end, they butchered him. They kicked him. They spit on him. They tore his back open with a whip. They they threw him on a cross. Jesus did that for you. He was beaten bloody and mauled, and he suffered for you. He suffered because of you, and he suffered for you. We learn that on the cross, God poured out the wrath of, of God, all of the punishment for humanity on his son. Jesus suffered for you. And then he was thrown in a tomb, but on the third day, God overruled the the plans of wicked men, and he raised his son to life. Jesus is now alive in heaven, ruling at the right hand of God, and he promises that if you ask him to be your savior, he will suffer not only because of you, not only for you, but he will suffer with you throughout this world, and he will take away your pain forever. This is God's answer to your pain. This is why It's happened. So you know how much you need his son in this life and in the next life. The time is now for you to admit, I need a savior. I need a shepherd. I need someone to help me with this pain. I love what Abdu Murray said from RZIM's team. He said this, Jesus offers us a peace that is profound because it does not run from suffering. No, the peace Christ offers blossoms in the presence of suffering. The Bible is very honest 
and open with the problem of pain. God's answer is his son. Peace blossoms in the presence of suffering when you have Christ with you. John 16, 33, Jesus said this, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Listen, you will suffer in ways that you don't deserve. God will allow excruciating pain into your life, confusion, anguish, loss. Often it's not your fault. It's not personal. He has made full provision for you in the person of his son. Find your rest and your peace in the presence of his son. He will sustain you through it all. And then the Bible promises that in the end, God will wipe every tear away from your eyes. I want to give you a chance to do what Job did. I want to give you a chance to bring your pain into God's loving presence where it belongs. Right now, let's close our eyes, let's bow our hearts, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want this to be an opportunity for you to talk to God about your pain. I want this to be an opportunity for you to bring all of your pain into the presence of the holy God who allowed it, to set it down before him, and to have a conversation. This is your chance right now. This is your chance right now to find peace for what's happened. To find joy in the middle of this trial. This is your opportunity to talk to your holy, loving Father who uses pain to accomplish His divine purposes. This is your chance. This is your chance to humble yourself. This is your chance to trust Him. This is your chance to run to Him, not from Him. This is your chance to ask His Son to save you now and forever. The worship team is going to sing a song over you. You can remain seated. And I want you to take this time to talk to God, to lament, to think about what He's doing, to express your great faith in Him.